high schools. If it's the sport you care about, we're talking about it. The Full Court Press on Sports Talk Radio, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM. The Fan. Happy Thursday, everybody. Full Court Press, 106 on FM, 1390 AM and 106.9thefan.com. Thanks for joining us however and wherever you are. Hope you're enjoying your day and it's better than ours. We always hope that. 401, your kickoff time. You didn't have a good day? No, I had a great day. Wow. So you're hoping that everybody has had a stupendous day. Stupendous day. No, let's go a fantastical day. Not just fantastic, but fantastical. Fantastical? Yes. Yes. So that could include like unicorns and... We're talking show ponies. Where's the beef? Flying bunny rabbits. Oh, yeah. I mean, we're yeah, we're talking like, well, that's like into the mushroom stage. Sliding down rainbows. Yeah, we're talking about the mushroom stage there. Um, <laughs> Eric Franson there. I'm Aj Salison. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Full Court Press. Uh, got a good show for you today. Uh, pre-recorded interview. I sat down with Cash Valley's uh, great athlete, one of them, um, Ryan Zimmerman, who... At one point, held 13 state football records. Holds, uh, he's in the top 10 of several categories in baseball records as well. Uh, we sat down for about an hour and a half. So our show is only an hour. So we're going to give you a 24-minute around there snippet of the interview. And then after the interview is done, any, we'll post the entirety of it on our podcast. And then after our show is done, you say, hey, I want to listen to more Ryan then go ahead and go to our podcast platform, order106onthefan.com, and you can hear the rest of the interview. Again, it is long, really long, uh, but it's actually really cool. In fact, in this snippet, you'll hear a story about Gary Anderson, who is his head football coach at Southern Utah. Uh, and then on the podcast, you'll hear a story about when he pitched at Fenway Park um, in front of 30,000 fans. And uh, a story about him just warming up. It's a really cool story. You'll enjoy that. And, of course, we kind of go down his – his high school of baseball and football career, going down a few games that stood out to him and, and what it was like to play against Ryan Bohm. Boy, he was not a fan of Ryan Bohm because Ryan Bohm owned him. <laughs> and he's like, look, I hated Ryan. Not because Ryan was a great kid. He said, Ryan was the nicest person in the world. In fact, every time we lost to him, Ryan would always kind of be like that for a guy to get, you know, just, hey, man, great game. But it was just that Ryan would continually own us. And um, it's funny. From the, let's see, the, in the two state semifinal games that Ryan Bohm and Zimmerman played against each other, Bohm accounted for his offense's total yardage in both games combined of the semifinals, 655 yards. Whew. He was unstoppable. He was an incredible. Absolute, he was a pain in the butt. Couldn't stand him. And then I met him in person, like after high school. And he was the nicest guy to me. He remembered me, said, oh, he didn't know my name. He just knew I was a water boy who ran the ball out to the field. But I was a popular water boy. And I was actually his <laughs> you're, water boy. You're notable. I was his water boy for the All-State game his, uh, after his senior year. And that's how we kind of got to know each other. And he was just the absolute nicest human being on the in the planet. And so, anyways, uh, you'll hear from Ryan Zimmerman here uh, about midway through the hour. We'll play that interview. Uh, and uh, you'll hear from, and again, the rest of it will be posted on our podcast. It's- yeah, I think that's important. Yeah, you guys, as you mentioned, you guys talked for a long time, covered a lot of ground, a lot of memories, <laughs> great stories about high school sports and, and other things that he did after leaving Cache Valley. Uh, and so you're going to have that entire interview posted on our website a little yep. bit later on this I remember afternoon. here, like, hey, we could probably go for 20 minutes. And I'm like, all right. So I'm looking at the clock and I'm like, we're not going to even. Yeah, we ain't stopping at 20. And then I get a look over, I'm like, 
oh my heck, we're at 40. And then I look over, I'm like, we're in an hour. And I, I'm looking at and Ryan's got a golf tee time with his one of his good buddies. And I'm thinking, oh man, he's going to kill me. So we get done. I'm like, Ryan, I'm so sorry. And he goes, dude, I was talking the whole entire time. That was great. And he was so nice about it. But again, it when you have a chance, sit down and listen to it. I think you'll enjoy it. Uh, a lot of really fun stories. But you'll hear from And Ryan's also got a really cool message for the seniors this year in high school who didn't get a graduation. Yeah, he was a spring sport athlete. Yes, and he so was. So I think he's got a unique, uh, interesting perspective to share with those who kind of had their seasons robbed from them. So it's it's a good message it, it, to hear. Yeah, you're going to want to hear the message. It's really good. Uh, Eric, a few things before we get to Ryan Zerman today. Uh, actually, quite a few things if you ask me. Uh, did you see the Utah Jazz all-time team from ESPN? I did. It's interesting. They've been putting together these uh, all-time five. They put the hashtag all-time five. And they've gone through every team. And today they listed every team in the Western Conference and uh, across that team's history, who, if you were put a, a starting five together, regardless of era, who would be the best five players ever for that team? Two guards, two forwards, and a center. And when I first looked at it, I thought, there's maybe two guys that play the same position, but the more that I've looked at it, no. And I think they've, they really did get it right. I don't think they did. I think Mark Eaton should be above Rudy Gobert. Okay, so here was the all-time five for the Utah Jazz. As you already mentioned, Rudy Gobert got the nod ahead of Mark Eaton for the center position. Not thrilled about it. Uh, for the power forward, Carl Malone. No question. Yeah, we're not Absolutely arguing there. Absolutely, yeah. yes. Uh, the other forward, Adrian Dantley. I'm not so sure about him. What about... Uh, he was an elite scorer for quite a while. Actually, you know what? Maybe I'm wrong here. Because what did Memo Oker play? He was like a center. Was he a center or a big man? Uh, uh, he was more the center position. Yeah. Okay, so he wouldn't fit into that because no. he was so good and so clutch, man. Uh, so those are that's your center and your two forwards. Then it comes to the guards, and this is where at first I thought, uh, but I think they got it right. Your starting point guard, John Stockton. Duh. And then the other guard. Pete Maravich. Okay, so if Pete Maravich wasn't on the list, who would you re- who would you have replaced him with? Well, see, when I first saw the list, I thought, well, didn't John and Pete Maravich play the same position? But Maravich was a was a guard, but he was more of a scoring guard. Um, and I mean, he led the NBA in, in scoring for several years. Um, he had a sixty eight point game against the New York Knicks. Uh, he had. Uh, he scored 40 or more points 13 times, 50 or more four times. Uh, Maravich, uh, multiple all-star games. I can't think of any other guards. I mean, maybe Daryl Griffith you could consider. Yeah. Dr. Duncan Stein. Did he? Okay, so I heard, a, was it Adrian Dantley or Daryl Griffith who had a fallout with Frank Layden? And, oh, that was, that was Adrian Dantley. Was that Dantley? Yes. Okay. Traded him to uh, Detroit for like dirt cheap and like two dimes. Basically, <laughs> that's uh, right. Yeah, calling him a, a Judas Iscariot. Like he sold him out. So I have, but it didn't. That was a, a kind of a messy end to that relationship. But Adrian Dantley was an incredible scorer. Oh yeah, great he athlete. Was good. There were some uh, some rumors that he was telling Malone to back it off a little bit. You got to pace yourself. 
Oh, yeah. Don't come out the gates looking all great because then they'll have expectations of you. So I think that kind of led to the uh, <laughs> the emotion of and, and the disagreements with the with with himself and the Utah Jazz as an organization, which caused the parting of ways. But Adrian Dantley was a tremendous scorer, uh, averaged twenty nine point six points, over fifty six percent shooting. Uh, he was the NBA leading scorer a couple different times when he was in Utah. Carl Malone was the leading scorer in the NBA a couple times when he was in Utah. Pete Maravich <laughs> was the leading scorer in the NBA a couple times when he was with Utah. And John Stockton's the leading steals and assist man while a couple times while in Utah. Yes. And when we say a couple, we're being very generous. I guess, well, not generous enough, I should say. So then I want to get to your, your question about Rudy Gobert over Mark Eaton because both have gotten uh, Defensive Player of the Year awards. Both have led the NBA at times in blocks and in rebounds. But... For me, I far and away, I put Rudy Gobert ahead of Mark Eaton because he has more of an offensive skill set than Mark Eaton did. Okay, wait, we're talking offensive skill set? We're not I'm just talking, talking about, about complete I'm talking player. about production, though. So am I. I just think that Rudy was more, is more of a complete player. Mark Eaton did more in his career defensively than Rudy Gobert has done so far. And by the way, the success of the Utah Jazz, we talked about Stockton and Malone. Mark Eaton, and I think both these men would agree with this, did a ton, almost equal to the production of keeping teams, uh, or I guess uh, holding offensive outputs down a ton because of his defensive play. Rudy Gobert, I, I, I see gaps and I see holes. Mark Eaton, not so much. Yeah, but Mark Eaton wouldn't do the, the pick and roll, wouldn't be there for the lob, wouldn't be there for that wasn't his job, playing man. around the rim. That wasn't his, his no, job. No, but Rudy does a lot of those same things that Mark Eaton did defensively. Yeah, he hasn't had games where he's had like nine blocks in a game, but he's had a lot of them that have been close. The Rudy pl- Gobert is on par with Mark Eaton defensively. What separates him is what Rudy Gobert does offensively that Mark Eaton never had. And the playoff success, this is unfair to say, but the playoff success that the Jazz had while Mark Eaton was there was just incredible. The playoff success that the Jazz have had has been okay. It was, I don't know if I'd say it was incredible. At that time, it was okay. I mean, the Jazz didn't launch themselves into the Western Conference perennial contenders. That was after Mark Eaton had left. Mm, 92-93, they were in the conference finals. I mean, and then what, what, they went seven or I guess five, went a full five games versus the Lakers. Starring Kareem, Magic, James Worthy. They took them to five games. Mark Eaton was a big part of game three, I believe. Had a huge game. I mean, they like you're talking about you're talking about Hall of Fame worthy, a Western conference that was so stupid loaded. Like Clyde Drexler and the Blazers, Magic Johnson and the Lakers, Sean Kemp and the Sonics. Uh he was around for I think the uh, the end of his career he was around for that. Uh Okay, so Mark Eaton got Defensive Player of the Year award twice. Was it back-to-back, by the way? No, no. 85 and 89. Okay. Rudy Gobert has gotten Defensive Player of the Year back award to back. twice in back-to-back years. Uh, Mark Eaton went to one All-Star game. That was in 1989. Rudy Gobert has gone to one All-Star game. That was just recently. Okay. Um, Mark Eaton holds the NBA record for most blocks in a season. And career average blocked shots per game. But I just, again, I look at what 
what um, what Rudy has done offensively that sets him apart from Mark Eaton. Fair enough. Um, speaking of Carmelo, as you did earlier, did you see the piece, the like little clip that came out of him talking about Michael Jordan? <laughs> yes, I loved it. Here it goes. This is Carmelo. This is part of the last dance that was not aired. This was well, or was this something else in reference to something else that they found? It was an ESPN E60 from a couple of years ago. Oh, this is from a couple. I thought, oh, it is. Yeah, this is from a couple of years ago. Listen to this. The question, by the way, that the the video guy asked him is: So when I say the name Michael Jordan, what comes to mind? Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan. Well, what, uh, like, what else I need to say? Thank you. Go ahead. So talk to me about the Game 6 Finals in Utah when he stole the ball. Why? Why, <laughs> why do I have to? But I tell you this, I'm all man, and I accept the responsibility for not winning one, and we was there. We just happened to be playing the Chicago Bulls, which wasn't just Michael Jordan, by the way. And I have the utmost respect for Michael, but I never thought I was playing Michael Jordan. <laughs> I was playing the Chicago Bulls. But let's not, you know, everybody say this person was a bad man and all that. Well, yes, I give them respect. But I got a set up. I'm a man. And I was a bad son of a bitch, too. So... That's how I look at that, and, and that's who I am. Maybe in my older years, I can call it that bluntly, but I'm just calling it like I see it. So. We apologize for the uh, inappropriate word, but at the same time, that is Carmelone at its finest. Now, here's my question for you. He's got a great point, and I think him and Stockton and Sloan all kind of sit on the same bench with this that when they're like oh hey tell us about playing against Michael Jordan no how about you talk about how what it, for what is for Michael Jordan have to play against us for two straight years <laughs> we're a 69 win basketball team and they have to come play us and we put him through absolute heck yeah you know what I, I give total credit to Carl Malone I uh the Gottlieb earlier played that clip talked about Malone and some of these other guys but you know what I when I when I heard that I thought that is when I heard it for the first time earlier today, I thought that's classic Carmelo. It is. Like, look, you're, he knew what was going on. You're trying to get me to praise Michael Jordan and talk about how great he was. It's like, you know what? We're, yeah, okay, I got respect for him, but let's talk about other great people too. Yeah. Everybody's fixated on one guy, and Carmelo appropriately says <laughs> there were a lot of other great dudes on that team, and we were a good team. Why don't you talk about us? Well, How good of a player I was. And you know, he's got a great point. But at the same time, Carmelo is the reason why they lost game one in 97. Carmelo is, I wouldn't say the main reason they lost game six in 98, but he's a portion of it because he didn't shoot that great. Now, granted, in game five, he had 39 to even get it to a game six. But the fact that they were down 3 1 to the Bulls in the finals the second time around just wasn't a good sight. But, uh,. I, 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 again, I applaud guys like Stockton and Malone to say, you know what? 
I'm not going to sit here and kiss Michael's rings. I ain't doing it. If you want to talk about our team and what it was like to uh, to be that good of a basketball team and give Jordan, we're the only team in Jordan's six titles to see him twice. Nobody else could get back and do it again. We did it twice. Well, and pushed him to six games. Well, yeah, pushed him to six games. I felt like Michael had it in control in 98, though. I didn't in 1997. I said this this thing could go seven. I'm liking this. I'm we're gonna win it in 98. I said we're gonna lose in five or six. I don't, I don't know. I mean, the so Jazz had the home court advantage. Though. They were. But it didn't matter, man. They were hungry. They were experienced. Hungry. They lost by 42. <laughs> okay, that one game is an exception. But look, there was a few things that in that game six they appropriately. Review a three-point shot. It's a five. It's five points, man. Yeah, the game was decided by two. It's five points, one or two. So it made a difference. It makes a difference. It it doesn't because it was a momentum. It would have been a momentum swing. It would have had made a big difference. I'm not saying a missed basket here or there early in the game determines ultimately the outcome of the game because there's too much time that passes. A lot of other things can happen, but. There was a play that was taken away from the Jazz that shouldn't have been, and there was a play given to Chicago that shouldn't have been. I agree. Dick Bavetta screwed it up. Dick Bavetta absolutely messed it up, and he still, and he never ever came out and said, "Yeah, I, I made a mistake," and he wouldn't. But so I mean, I'm I was there watching the game. I remember just how livid we were. Oh yeah. I honestly have not seen the the game footage of that game, like the broadcast, and I saw the the clip floating around the, the last few days about the clip that Michael Jordan didn't want to be included <laughs> in uh, episode 10, or the deleted scene from The Last Dance that MJ didn't want in the final edit, and it includes Bob Costas and them. It shows that play. And it's, ah, watching that, it just makes me mad again. Hey, let me ask you a question because you were there at that game for game six. Do you, is it hard for you? Because you said you've never seen the broadcast. Would you ever go see it again? Or are you like, I don't want to ever see that footage ever again. I, I want to stay away from it. You know, they showed game six, the movie or whatever they called it. Something like that. Last I night. Yeah, I, didn't I didn't watch it. I thought about recording it and watching it, but I know the outcome. I know some of the things that happened in, in the game that were frustrating. Uh, I was a bit curious just to watch it again because everybody focuses on the last shot. Everybody focuses on the the steal uh, from behind on Malone. But there are a lot of great plays by jazz players and guys on that jazz bench that have long been forgotten. Yeah. But they played important roles. If I remember right, Greg Foster had himself a heck of a series too in in, in that span. Uh, it was interesting. I, I saw a jazz fan poll. And they said, for those who attended the game, would you rewatch the entirety of the game? And I think it was seventy three percent said no. They don't want to see it again. Like they, and and you saw comments below saying like it hurts too much. I still remember it all. I don't want to like it. It still breaks my heart. Stuff like that. So I was curious, just I mean, from who attended it, if you'd be willing to like, because I won't watch the New England Patriots Super Bowl loss in 07. I still haven't seen the full game. I see clips, and I'll turn it off immediately because I can't take it. And I didn't even go to the game. But as a Jazz fan, how hard that would be. Yeah, and just knowing that Pippen was hobbling around. Oh, yeah, dude. If he the was... Jazz get that one, then the Game 7 at home in Salt Lake City, 
Granted, Michael Jordan was an incredibly clutch player, just found ways to still make things happen yeah. for his team. But do you did you see the report that Scottie Pippen was upset with the way the document Terry portrayed Pippen? I heard that. I heard Horace Grant was really upset as well. Yeah, there's another guy. Uh, there's one other guy. I think B.J. Armstrong was a little upset with the way he was portrayed as well. I mean, for how he felt like he did so much to be with the team that he went and played for the Hornets, had a great game, was excited about it, and then they tried to make him the villain. And he didn't appreciate that. I don't know that they made him the villain. They just well, made it look like, look, he did something, he got excited at the bench, and he was stupid for inciting Michael Jordan because the wrath dude? was going to come. He scored 30-something. I, okay, here's the thing, though. It was just it was Michael Jordan. I, as Jason Eyre directed it, I thought it was Michael Jordan who really kind of ran the ship on the documentary. Saying, "Hey, I want this to be shown. Don't show this. Don't show that." Um, I don't, I don't know about that entirely. Because Come on, there are dude. That- Pippen looked pretty dang bad in that thing. Like, I didn't believe it at first, but then when I watched some things of it, I'm like, "Holy crap!" Well, dude. Pippen didn't help himself either. Like, he defended himself. Like, if that happened again today, yeah, I wouldn't go into the game for that final shot. But great. But, so, what? So, so, why are you, but here's why the thing. Are you holding on to no, that? No, wait, time 20 out. years later. But then in 95, but they don't talk about him helping the Bulls get to seven games versus a talented Knicks team and losing in seven games, sure, but they got the seven games and they didn't want to talk about it. They just want to say, oh, by the way, Pippen wouldn't come in for one play at the buzzard. Or, I mean, at the end of the game and Kukoc hit a game-winning shot. Well, it also talked Let's, about how he had the contract dispute and wouldn't sat dude, out for a good chunk for a of whole, the 98 Yeah, but we focused for a whole episode of that. We had nothing else to do. Well, they, had a, they focused a whole episode on Dennis Rodman. Yeah, that Don't don't put Dennis Rodman and Scottie Pippen in no, the same No, they, they took part, content. Of, part of this whole thing was that they were examining the characters that were part of that team and giving their backstory and the what was leading up to that season. Which I thought was interesting. They did it with Steve Kerr. They didn't give so much of a backstory with Paxson or Bill Cartwright or too many of those other guys. But but uh, I thought that it was interesting that the way that they looked at some of those characters of the team and their their backstory. Besides just hey, this is what happened in this season, because it gave you more context as to what was going on. But to say that Jordan. Had his fingers on it. Yeah, I'm sure he did. Obviously, he did. He was part of the production company that paid for it. But he did not come out looking great. He he came out of that thing looking petty. He came out of that thing looking vindictive. He came out of that thing looking like he had a real problem that he never owned up to with with gambling. gambling. Yeah. Um. So there were a lot of things in that that he came off looking like a, a jerk. Like he's a he's a man standing alone. He had all this wealth, all these championships. And he's alone. Nobody wants to be around him. None of those guys that that won with him and celebrated with him want to be around him anymore. So it's it's the cost of of winning, uh, and what he put those guys through. And a lot of those guys are, are saying in the after interviews, like it probably wasn't needed. He didn't need to be like that. We could have still won without him being like that. But it's easy to say now. By the way, speaking of documentaries coming out, Tom Brady will have uh, his career as a New England Patriot. Uh, they're going to have a, uh, a, I guess, a series. It's a nine-episode series that talks about Tom Brady's journey in each of his nine Super Bowls, including the losses. 
Uh, and there will be voices besides Tom Brady. Other people will speak in in the series throughout the nine episodes. Uh, it's going to be uh, part of ESPN 199 Productions, which, go figure, Brady's production team, and Gotham Re- of Religion of Sports will also be a part of it as well. Uh, interested to see how much comes out of Brady just about you know, the bad and the good. Because he's such a positive. He says he's such a positive guy that only wants to focus on the positive. How much of the negativity of losing three Super Bowls comes out? Especially that second one versus the Giants where everyone thought they were going to win it. Everyone, everyone he was their favorite to win it. And just his defense couldn't get a stop. Brady had bad, you know, a couple of bad throws. Receivers couldn't catch a ball. So on and so forth. So that's not going to be coming back in, or coming out until 2021. Uh, so look forward to that. Oh, at least I look forward to that. Many of you won't. Well, will it be interesting? I mean, will there, other than those diehard Tom Brady and Patriots fans, will it be interesting to anybody else? Uh, the thing no, with, with no, Michael Jordan and the 98 uh, Bulls was that there were ups and downs. There was controversy over time. Hold on. There wasn't controversy during the nine Super Bowls that Brady was a part of? Well, I guess that's that's what I want. Yeah, there Spy was the Gate cheating scandal. In 2007? Inflate Gate. Inflate Gate during 2014. But he didn't leave the game and then come back and torch his players. How we I, we but don't I know think that if he they didn't, look at it as a broader... We don't know if he didn't torch his players. Well, that's a good point. But I think if they look at it, the broader thing, like you know, Bill Belichick and how he coached his teams and maybe blurring the lines a little bit on some things and bringing some shady characters into their cast. Uh, and maybe how some of them they were able to rehabilitate and give them second chances, but others, they went to prison. Um, so there could be some interesting angles to it if it's done right. All right, we got to take a break. Coming back, you're going to hear from Ryan Zerman. A portion of this interview uh, we're going to play here on the Full Court Press. This is 106 on FM, 1390 AM, The Fan. The Aggies, Jazz, High Schools, even the Pee Wee's T-Ball team. It's the Full Court Press on Sports Talk Radio, The Fan. Welcome back to the Full Court Press. Hey, just a reminder, everybody, Memorial Day coming up on Monday. I know it seems earlier than normal. That's how the calendar is. So a lot of people are going to be getting out into the outdoors on Memorial Day and maybe even for the weeks and months to come. As weather warms up, more chances to get outside. Make sure you have the right gear if you're going to do that. Best place to go get geared up to get the right stuff, Al's Sporting Goods. Big sale going on this weekend. Our good friend Will Philwright will be broadcasting live there tomorrow, actually. I think yesterday we said it was today. It's tomorrow. Sorry. Uh, It's going to be taking place tomorrow from 3 to 6 p.m. Stop by, say hi. Great deals on, on guns, on ammo, trampolines, Razor scooters, uh, pellet grills, camping tables, hammocks. It's all kinds of great stuff. And the, the great deals will continue through Monday. So if you can't make it tomorrow afternoon, stop by anytime this weekend and you'll be glad you did. A lot of great deals at Al's Sporting Goods. They're at 1075 North Main in Logan. All right. Uh, time to uh, pull out our interview. I was able to sit with Ryan Zimmerman this morning. Uh, he played at Mountain Crest, quarterback and pitcher. Uh, from 2001 to 2003, and just lit the record book on fire in both football and in baseball like nobody else at the time, uh, setting records of all sorts. It was about an hour and a half, but we're going to play a snippet of the interview today, about 24 minutes long, 
And when the interview is immediately finished, we will then publish the entirety of the interview on our 106 on the Fan website, and it will also be on our podcast platform, Stitcher, iTunes, or Spotify. You can type in Eric's name, my name, the Full Court Press, or even Ryan Zimmerman's name, and it will pop up. Uh, and there you'll be able to listen to memories of uh, Ryan's great career in high school athletics, hear stories about uh, hear a story about when he was pitching at Fenway Park, uh, and uh, other great tales. So here it is, uh, Ryan Zimmerman. This is just a portion of the interview, a reminder, uh, with uh, Ryan Zimmerman uh, earlier this morning. All right, it's my pleasure and honor here to have on the Full Court Press one of my good friends, and he doesn't need any introduction, but for the sake of his ego and the sake of mine, we're going to introduce him anyways. He is the holder of several, at one point, 13 state football records. 13. In fact, if you're doing your math, that's every state football record as a quarterback. He also is still in the top 10 categories and several major pitching records in high school, including ERA in a season in 2002, career ERA from 2001 to 2003, and still in the top 10 in strikeouts in a career, strikeouts in a season, and uh, hits allowed in 2003. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my honor, it is my privilege and pleasure to introduce you one of Cash Valley's great and one of the best players in the last 20 years to ever escape Cash Valley. It's Ryan Zimmerman. Ryan, thank you for your time. <laughs> Thanks for having me. How I was that introduction? I, I didn't even know half of those things. So You did. You just <laughs> forgot. <laughs> yeah, that might be it too. Pull that mic up to your mouth for me. Thank you. I know you're, I know you're shy of the mic. You don't like to talk. Uh, Ryan, uh, let's, let's start here. Where are you at? What are you doing these days? So I'm a professor uh, at Weber State University. In what? Uh, I teach in our health, physical education, recreation department. Are you liking it? Oh, I'm living the dream. It's, it's amazing for me, my family. The flexibility is great. You know, I get to hang out with the kiddo a lot, golf, fly fish as much as I possibly can, <laughs> and, you know, get to teach and do a little bit of research. So it's, it's awesome. Uh, what – did you ever see yourself like – I know – and we're going to get into the high school aspect of, of a lot of things in long ways, but some of these things that are in your now life now kind of actually uh, relate from high school. One of those things, did you ever see yourself as a professor years ago? <laughs> no. So what got there? Um, a man named Dr. John Crass up at uh, Utah State was okay. a big influence. I mean, he coached college basketball for many, many years um, before he pursued his Ph.D., and um, he was one of my professors, obviously, and took him to lunch one day. And this was when I was coaching um, up at Utah State, coaching football. And just like, you know, I don't know if I want to do this. I love it. I love the kids. But, um, you know, wh- why did you get out of coaching? And, you know, one of the things, what it came down to was he, he, was, he was like, I have one regret in life. And that's that I got my Ph.D. when I was 40. I wish I would have done it when I was 30. And so, and two years prior to that, I always joked, I always when somebody asks you, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be Dr. Crass. And sure enough, <laughs> I teach a lot of the same classes that he teaches. He just is up here at Utah State. And, you know, I, I went in that direction because of his mentorship, his guidance. He he pushed me to go that way. And um, same with um, uh, Dale Mildenberger. He was the yeah. athletic trainer, trainer at Utah State. Utah State. He was another person that, um, you know, I sat down with. And he could tell I was a little burned out and a little frustrated with coaching um didn't help that we were losing a lot at the time as soon as i left they, <laughs> everything turned around <laughs> it takes off you know bowl games and, and gary <laughs> just took that place to a new level so maybe maybe the the key was to get get, get me out of there <laughs> but yeah that's i never would have thought that i'd end up where i am but you know again a few people can point you in the right direction and push you and that's exactly what happened you were in boston for a little bit aka Tattletown, weren't you 
Uh, we well, we lived in Connecticut. Okay, but we were we were close to we were probably less than two hours from Boston. I just was in Boston a lot. Just, How did you like it? Ah, uh, loved it. I mean, that's why a lot of people thought we lived in Boston because if you ever looked at our social media, yeah, we were always in Boston <laughs> doing you know whether it's going to the baseball games or just going to eat. I mean, it's it's. And then we were, you know, we were close to New York City too, but we spent most of our time in Boston, which was which was fun. Uh, you say we. You're married to your high school sweetheart, Lacey. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, we. You could call her that. She. I graduated. You know, actually, well, I graduated, and then we started dating. I was going to say, but, I don't know this as as long as we've known each other for twenty years now. I don't know this story. How you two met and what that trip was like. Give us the. Uh, give us the story. Oh, it's. I'll do the short version. Um, <laughs> Well, <laughs> I really liked her, <laughs> and she did not like me. Uh, she made what? A, yeah, I, I asked her to a dance, and, you know, I, <laughs> we went to the dance, and I liked her even more. Um, over the next week after that dance, she pretty much told me to leave her alone. Like, literally, this is when, when instant Time messaging. Time out. This isn't true. <laughs> so this is when instant messaging just started on a, like MSN. AOL. Oh, yeah, yeah okay. And um, I don't know what it's really called, but we were... You know, the whole computer love thing, oh, yeah. just typing back and forth. And she just straight up, it wasn't computer love. It was, I was not her type. She literally wrote, please leave me alone. I'm not your type. So it took me a good six or seven more months to to trick her into, you know. Okay, I'm sorry. We're, we're digging into this, though. This isn't making sense to me. How, did she ever give you a reason why besides the whole, you're not my type? I mean, I'm not a lot of girls types either, but. What? Um, I was a cocky, arrogant prick. The first two, yes. The last one had its moments, sure. No, that she, you know, I, I mean, you do, back then, I probably came across a little bit different than what I, than who I really was. You know, I didn't go out of my way. I wasn't the extreme extrovert that I am now, where now I really try to go out of my way to talk to people and, and you know, whether it's my neighbors or just people at the grocery store and, you know, saying hi and being, I, I wasn't like that then, you know, and I... I really focused on myself. I wasn't, I, I, you know, sports kind of took over my life. I was really good in school, really good in sports, and that's what I focused on. I didn't really focus on relationships as much as I do now. So, you know, that was the same thing with a lot of her friends. Our friends hung out, um, and she just, you know, she just didn't like me. I don't know what it was, and it, it took a while. But I, I, I won. I won. <laughs> That's the most important part. <laughs> I know it's kind of blurry in these days. How long have you been together? How long have you been married? Oh, geez. Um, so we're coming up on nine years in June. Marriage? Mm-hmm. I still remember turning to your reception. Are you yeah. serious? Nine years? Yeah, nine years. It's been, and then, I mean, we've been dating since, let's see, 2003. So we've been dating in, for a long time. Um, and the good thing is, though, she she went up to Utah State. You know, she... She was at Aguiette up there. She danced um, while I was playing ball back east. You know, I was gone six, seven months out of the year. So she still got to experience her life, the college lifestyle. And I got to experience, you know, my life too. So it's not like we missed out on anything. You know, we still got to live our lives and and have those experiences separately. um, Enjoying our friends, going to parties, that that kind of stuff. Um, So that's what was great about our situation is we we have a lot of longevity but we were doing a long distance relationship and it made us so much better see that's incredible because usually those long distance relationships tear you apart i mean i don't mean to be dr phil here but i just from experience they're they're tough to deal with that's 
It's pretty amazing. And you have a you have a little one now, is that right? Yeah, Winston. Winston Vo is his, is his name. How'd you come up with uh, Winston Vo? What was the story there? Oh, one of Lacey's friends gave us a list of like 40 different names. Holy and God. Vo was always going to be his middle name just because we liked it. V-A-U-X. Um, there's oh, okay. nothing behind it. Not, okay. Like, there's, it's just we liked it. Yeah. Um, and he was gonna. His name was actually gonna be Walter. Um, when he when he came out, <laughs> he didn't look like a Walter. He he seriously he looked like an old man, like Benjamin Button almost. <laughs> and um, a few days went by, and Lacey's uh, sister was like, you know, yeah, he doesn't look like a Walter. He just looks like an old man. He kind of looks like a Winston. And we both just looked at each other and was like, yep, that's his name. It's Winston Vo. I'm pretty sure in 15 years he's going to be grateful that you changed it to Winston yeah, as well. Yeah. Uh, how old is he? Um, he will be turning two in June, June 11th. And how is uh, the life of being a father? It's the best. I mean, there's nothing There's nothing like it. And we didn't want kids. That's what's a little interesting is we were both kind of on the same page. You know, forever we both wanted kids. And then we got to a point where we were like, no, I don't think so. You know, maybe we'll just have a dog farm. <laughs> just adopt cats and dogs and sheep i don't know um but things happen and now it's like oh my gosh what would we do without him he's the coolest funnest craziest little thing i mean he and you should see him he's so athletic and that and i'm trying not to be biased here because well, sure. he's my kid but man he's it's he has no fear do you you and Lacey ever look back and just kind of laugh at how Lacey was like, I'm not dating you, I'm not dating you, and then all of a sudden, here you are, married with a kid, dog, and a home, the whole family life? Yeah, it. she probably regrets it all the time. <laughs> no, I I mean, we, we're fortunate. I mean, she's, she um, got, I mean, I guess I got through to her, it took some time, but even through our, you know, dating for so many years, you know, we have our off and ons, you know, our good times, our bad times. Um, which is the same thing right now. You know, marriage is tough, especially with a kid. But man, we we sure we figure it out, and we figure it out better than most, which is great. You uh, you live in Salt Lake, is that right? Yeah. So you're commuting to Ogden to for work? Yep. Yeah. So I Salt Lake's are a, a middle ground for both of us. Lacey works in American Fork um, for Ooh. a company, a tech company called Domo. Um, so we both Salt Lake was kind of that. Middle, I mean, her driving around the, the peak of the mountain um, in Lehigh is horrible traffic. Oh, yeah. So, oh, yeah. I've been there, done that. So she's down there, and I'm up in Ogden. So Salt Lake's perfect perfect middle ground for us. What uh, what do you look back on and, and say, I know you talk about yourself being the cocky, arrogant prick, <laughs> but what has have you carried with you from your high school days to now professor slash dad Ryan? Just success. I'm competitive in everything that I do. That's for um, dang sure. And that transfers over to everything in life. Um, I want to be the best at my job. I want to, I'm not saying that I want to be better than my colleagues, but I, I sure want to be somebody that they look to as um, someone to rely on when I speak. They listen. Uh, the information that I provide needs to be evidence-based. So I'm... I'm I'm still competitive in a way to where I'm still reading a, a ton, especially, I mean, when it comes to research articles and scholarly research and, and going that route. But even with my students trying to, because I teach, you know, a lot of the classes I teach in, are involve sports and 
psychology and and that was one of the things that I was best at was the you know being not cocky but really knowing that I am one of the best and it's it's that self confidence that's hard to get to for a lot of people and when you're when you're teaching future teachers they're not confident in themselves and it's it's probably one of those things that I try to transfer and, and help these kids and and adults I shouldn't say kids because many of my students are older than me um, that are going into the teaching field that you know you have to find that confidence and if you don't have confidence those kids are going to ruin your life <laughs> being a professor uh, this whole COVID-19 has probably taken a whole new name of teaching and probably if not anything more it, shown how important you as professors and teachers are, college and high school and elementary level, K through 12 and all that. Uh, what have you learned from this whole situation? That teaching face-to-face is so much better. <laughs> <laughs> it, I mean... What are the difficulties of teaching online compared to face-to-face? And I know there's probably numerous ones. It's the relationships. I mean, I do what I do because I like to build relationships. I coach. I loved coaching because I built so many great relationships with the kids, with this, with the student athletes. It's the same thing with my students now. Was, I really enjoy the relationships. So I, I hold a lot of Zoom meetings where there might be a lot of professors who are teaching online and they're not holding these meetings. But I want to see my students' faces. I want to see their reactions. I want to um, have that not you know nonverbal communication that and just be able to enjoy that aspect where when you teach online you know you're giving students assignments you know you're not really teaching you're just providing them with content for them to read on their own some people work really well with that but a lot of my students they're they're future teachers so how do you teach a future teacher to teach somebody but not be there in person you know it's 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 kind of tough but i mean we're getting through it we're figuring it out there's a lot of online programs teacher ed programs that that are strictly online. I don't like them, but at the same time, we're dealing with it and we're going to make the best of the situation. And hopefully this, this can all clear up over the, you know, over this year and, and things can maybe slow down and, and be a little bit more normal moving forward. A conversation we had just before we got on the air. Um, you were, we were talking about, just how great high school life can be because there's four years where it's it's you and a Ferrari just going down a road with all your friends for four straight years. This year, a lot of seniors had their seasons cut off, their graduations canceled, memory shattered because they had all these things to look forward to. What do you tell kids, seniors especially, who are listening to the show, listening to you right now, about having those memories taken away from them because of something that's out of their control. There are much better memories moving forward. I mean, I, I loved high school. I, I loved the experiences that I had, but they are nothing compared to the experiences that you're going to go through later on in life. I mean, let's just talk about college. You know, a lot of, a lot of these these kids may not be playing sports in, in, in college. They may be playing sports in college. But I can tell you, you're going to meet and find some of the best friends you'll ever meet later on in life. Like, don't get me wrong, I'm still best friends with my best friend from high school. He's my, he was my best man. I mean, heck, I'm going to golf with him in about an hour. Um, and my group of friends, too. I mean, I'm, I'm still friends with my high school buddies. But, you know, the, the most meaningful experiences are going to happen 
later on in life. Um, I mean, Dustin and I, Dustin Smith, he coaches at Mount Crest. Um, he's, he coaches baseball. Him and I have had so many more and better experiences after high school. I mean, I remember that the night when he told me that um, he was pregnant, well, that Megan was pregnant with Lily. I mean, I, I was bawling, absolutely bawling. I was so excited for him, and I was so excited that I was going to be an uncle, you know what I mean? And, and, I mean, those experiences are so much better than the games that we played in high school and graduation and, and, and that sort of thing. It's devastating. They're, them not getting this experience is tough. But there's a lot better experiences moving forward, whether it's in athletics, whether it's family, whether it's you meet your, um, you know, your, your wife, your, you know, whatever. It's, it, there's just so many more experiences to come, and they'll understand that soon. What about the fear of losing contact with your friends? I know, I mean, you and I stay in contact every now and then. You were just saying, you, you, you know, you still talk to your best friend. You're going golfing with him today. You still talk to Dustin. I think that's also a worrying concern as well. Yeah, it happens. I mean, no matter how close you are with somebody. I mean, Dustin and I, we don't talk all the time. And, but we have an understanding. We, we both know that we're always going to be best friends. Um, but we don't speak. We don't talk as much as we used to. When I lived on, on the East Coast, I feel like I saw him and his family more. Which is crazy. Really? Yeah. I mean, it, it's because it, you just get confined in this little, your own little world, you know, and having now, me having a child now is totally different. Now it's, we don't see each other as much because my life's a lot more hectic. Um, let alone, he's, I mean, well, all my friends have kids too and they're all doing their thing. It's, it's just, it's not easy to make time for everyone else in person. You know, I mean, you and I talk more than most most of any of my friends, and that's mainly just because we Once do it. Once every five, four or five months, yeah, really. <laughs> you know, and you know, I, I I love it. I love the fact that there are some people in this world that still want to talk to me, um, but there are a lot of people in this world that I don't need to talk to, and I still know that they love me, and I and you know they feel the same way. They know that I'm I'm there for them if if ever needed. Did you? Who's your closest friend that didn't go to Mountain Crest that played athletics? Oh, jeez. Um, Hootie. Which one was he? Uh, Dusty Roach. Oh, yes. Um, I mean, we we met in at Southern Utah. Okay. He was one of my really really good friends. Uh, he lives in Tremont now, Garland. Yeah, oh, okay. He he um. So he works for uh, Lincoln Financial. Has his own firm in Tremont now. Um, let alone he helps with his farm. So I, I still keep in contact with him pretty well, and he's probably one of my favorite people on this planet because he's, I mean, you know, you probably would remember him if you. Oh sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's he's just such a crazy, crazy kid. <laughs> so fun, you know. And I don't see him as much either, but he's probably he's one of my favorite people on this planet. The relationships between, I mean, now there's five high schools in the valley. Or is it, I think it's five, right? One, two, three, four, five high schools in the valley. Now. I don't know. I lost track. Yeah, like Green Canyon, yeah. Skyview. I gotta actually say it myself, just to make sure. And I mean, Bear River as well. Like so, it's six in a region, five in the valley. Uh, the relationships are a little bit more connected, you know, because I used to go to school with this person for three years and then went to Ridgeline for one year. We're and so I guess the friendships are more connected all over the valley. Was that the case back in the day, 
Or is it more disconnected? We aren't friends. We aren't buddies. If I see, I'll say hi, but that's about it. The relationships were there for sure. I mean, uh, just not noticeable. I mean, no, they were noticeable. Like, really? I mean, look at uh, kids from Logan. I mean, Tyson Harris was at Logan. Um, yeah. You got the Pawnees. You know, I was over there mixing kava all the time with the Pawnees. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you, you you go look at Skyview. Todd Barr. You know, Todd Barr and I are still close friends to this day. Heck, I texted him this morning or texted him last night. Um, you know, and, and then after high school, hung out a little bit with Nate Harris, but that was mainly through Todd. Um, where is Nate now? I, I think he's still in the Valley. I got to track that yeah, guy Yeah, I need now. to as well. He's, I mean, he was a good dude, but we're, I th- I th- we're still Facebook friends. And, yeah, that and counts. Yeah, so that, <laughs> I guess. But like, you know, I mean, being friends with Todd and then Todd and I played um, baseball together at Slick. So, mm. so we, we actually had some... Um, and we we were roommates, which was crazy. So we were friends before then, though. Like, I mean, he he came on. I forget what trip it was, but he was with um, you know myself and my dad. And I mean, Todd was a good friend even in high school, you know. And when we played against him, you know, we weren't friends. Like he would. There were times when he hit me really hard, and you know, he would help me up, but he wouldn't be like, "Are you okay?" <laughs> <laughs> you know. So it's it's. <laughs> It's interesting because those relationships, you know, they became better even later on. You know, I still keep in contact with the Pawnees, too. I mean, I don't see them hardly ever, mainly because I need to get my mixing game back back on point. Um, I haven't mixed kava in a long time. <laughs> <laughs> used to be a tradition, a routine for you every weekend, man. Yeah, don't tell don't tell the administration of Mountain Crest this, but there were times when we were sloughing class, mixing kava in the in the, in the <laughs> locker room. Well, I'm not supposed to tell you this, but I think they already knew. they probably did what was that experience like of being quarterback underneath anderson oh it was weird and crazy uh i was a kid and i thought i wasn't i thought i was this the most amazing person on the field i think that's why gary liked me is he he understood that my confidence could get get us through some things and i didn't start until like game four or five um i think my first start was against mcneese state Yep. But, um, and I, I mean, and they I were ranked. Four, four, yeah, I threw four touchdown passes in the first half. I think all four of them were to Chucky, too. Um, Charles Henderson. I knew that first, because coaching like Erickson, um, other coaches that I had, he was like, look, you're not bigger than this game. You're not bigger than these players. And he's, because you know him, he's the most loving guy oh, in yeah. the world. Yeah. He was just like, you're not that big. And he humbled me and made sure I understood that this was not all about me. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you actually care. You care about every single person on this team and it isn't about me. And he made sure to, to, that I understood the love and that this was no longer the Zimmerman show. You know what I mean? And this was the first week of camp. And it's probably one of the things that has kept me, like him and I have one of the best relationships because we started out in 2003. I came back and I coached for him in 2009 to 2011 when he was hired on. You know, even in between there when I was playing, when I was playing baseball back east, every year I'd come home and go visit him at the University of Utah. Like him and I became super close. And when he left Southern Utah, I mean, I was, I was going with him, whether he liked it or not. And he wasn't allowed to talk to me. We'll leave it at that. If you want to listen to the rest Ooh. of the interview on his podcast, it's pretty darn it's good about his right experience there. signing the National Entertainment with Southern Utah, but wanted to leave a year later. They wouldn't let him. You'll find out why. You can find it on our podcast now 
on uh, 106.9 and all our podcast platforms. Let's take a break. The new home for the full court press. Weekday afternoons from 4 to 6 on Sports Talk Radio, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM. The Fan. Audrey Stiles and Eric Franson here on the Full Court Press. Want to thank everybody for joining us here today. It was a fun show. Yeah, good stuff. Good quality uh, content. And don't forget, you can find more like that. The past interviews that we've done, just go to our website, 1069thefan.com. Check out the podcast section and uh, see, hear the whole interview with Ryan.